0: Well, with that, I would like to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 18. Exodus, chapter 18. We're continuing on in our journey through the book of Exodus. And now as we come to chapter 18, we're right there at Mount Sinai. Now, location-wise, Israel has come to Mount Sinai, though that's not really emphasized in chapter 18 The emphasis on coming to Mount Sinai is going to be next week. We're in Exodus chapter 19. So even though that's where they are, that's not really important for us. What we're going to talk about this morning is a way that God blessed Israel. And you could say almost rescued Moses through the bringing of good advice and blessing to him through his father-in-law. We'll just explain as we go along. Take a look here, starting at verse 1. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he had said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my fathers was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and with her two sons with her. Well, basically what we begin with in Exodus chapter 18 is a a visit from the in-laws, isn't it? Here we go. Jethro, the father in law of Moses, comes and he's going to make a visit to Moses and his family, mostly because he had heard of the amazing things that God had done. You see it right there in verse one. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses, father in law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. I mean, he heard about it. He couldn't help but hear about it. He couldn't help but hear about the amazing plagues that God struck the Egyptians with. He couldn't help but hear about the amazing deliverance through Passover. He couldn't help but hear about the escape that they made and the victory in crossing the Red Sea and the destruction of the Egyptian armies. He couldn't help but hear about manna in the wilderness and water miraculously provided. He heard about it. He heard about it. He knew that God was with them. And this struck a special note within the heart and the mind of Jethro because he was the priest of Midian. Now, what that no doubt means is that Jethro was a descendant of Abraham through Abraham's second wife, Keturah. Does this sound complicated to you? Well, it's a little bit complicated. Let's just say this, that back a few hundred years, there's a distant familiar relationship And I don't have any doubt that the idea of and the worship of the true God was passed down through these tangential descendants of Abraham so that in his own way, Jethro was a priest of the Most High God. He was a worshiper of the true God, even though he didn't have as much revelation about God as Moses and the people of Israel would at that time. And so he comes. United with Moses because they worship the same God, Yahweh, the God of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he came and he brought the wife of Moses and his two children because apparently they had been sent away to their father in laws for this time of safekeeping. And what happens? It says that I, your father in law, Jethro, am coming to you. So he came. The in-laws are coming for a visit. And You know how it is when the in-laws come for a visit. Sometimes they have a few suggestions on how things should be run around the house. Well, that's how it is in the case of Moses and his family. Because look at it here, verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being. And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law of all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, notice first and foremost that Moses went out to meet his father in law. He bowed down and he kissed him, even though Moses was a leader of a nation, a mighty man exalted, a man who was chief over a few million people. Yet he humbled himself beyond beat to his own family member and went down and bowed down low before him. And by the way, I, I don't mean to make a super spiritual application to this, but I just say, you know what? Sometimes if you're having trouble with your in-laws, maybe you need to show more honor, more deference. Isn't that exactly what Moses did right here? I'm not trying to imply that he had trouble with his in-laws. As far as we know, it was a beautiful relationship between Moses and his father-in-law. But it is nevertheless striking that Moses went out of his way. He could have had every reason in the world to just act like, look, Jethro, you're a wealthy farmer out in the middle of the desert. Good for you. I'm the leader of a few million people. Shouldn't you be bowing down to me? But no, he says, I'm going to honor you. You're my father-in-law. You're the father of my wife your grandfather to my children. I'm going to honor you in this position that you have. And I just think there's something sweet and something instructive for us there in a very practical way there. So he went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and he kissed him. And I love what it says there in verse 8. It says that he related to Jethro all the hardship and then how the Lord had delivered them. I love how it tells us that he gave Jethro an honest report. He didn't just tell him about everything that was great. Hey, let me tell you about manna. Let me tell you about how God provided. No, he said, listen, Jethro, there's times when it's been hard. There's been times when it's been very difficult. But I'll tell you this, that through all the difficulties, through all the trials, God has shown himself faithful, and he gave him a full report then. Now look, starting in verse 10, at Jethro's response. He says here, and Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they had behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law, before God. I love what he says in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. Now, I believe that Jethro knew the true and living God, but let's face it. He lived in the midst of a culture that was given over to idolatry. Even if Jethro didn't believe it himself, he lived surrounded by people who believed that everything was a God, that this rock was a God, that the tree was a God, that there was a God of this, that there was a God of that. And it was so helpful for him to have convinced in his mind all over again. Yes, Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, he is the Lord. He is exalted above all other gods. And might I say just for a moment, I hope that's settled in your mind. Now, I know you you, you may think, well, I don't think that there's other gods. I'm not out worshiping Zeus. I'm not out worshiping, you know, some Mercury or something like that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we make idols in our life all the time. Do we not? Is it not true that the heart of man is actually something like an idol factory? (laughs) We make idols all the time and we know how to shape them. We know how to chip them into just the kind of image that we want. And it's good for us to just come back to these basic things again and again. There is no other God except the Lord. Lord, I want you to be exalted and I don't want to worship anything else in my life. I have to earn a living, Lord. I I have a career. I want to provide for my family. But I don't want to worship the God of success. I I don't want to worship the God of material things. I want my worship and my dedication to be unto the Lord alone. And these are distinctions that sometimes get easily blurred. And we need God to bring us back to them again and again and again. Just like apparently it was for Jethro, where he said in verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Now, starting with the next verse, verse 13, we come to the place where Jethro, as a friendly father-in-law, is going to give some advice to Moses. Look at it here, verse 13. So it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a difficulty. They come to me and I judge between one and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Now, among such a large group that Israel represented and we're thinking something that numbered certainly in the hundreds of thousands, probably in the one or two, some people even estimate three millions. When we think of a group this big, there are always going to be disputes and contentions among people. That's my sheep. No, that's my sheep. That's my brand. No, that's my brand. That's my pot. No, that's my pot. Um, you violated this contract. No, I didn't violate the contract. Well, you said you would do this. No, I didn't say I would do this. On and on and on. I mean, you could just picture in your mind. It's just endless, isn't it? So what was the solution to that? Well, the people needed judgment. The people needed an arbiter, a a judge to make a decision to say, well, you're right and you're wrong and let's, let's just figure it out from there. So how did they solve this? Well, Moses sat, verse 13, Moses sat to judge the people. By the way, when you see that phrase in verse 13, Moses sat to judge and the people stood before Moses, those are technical terms of ancient law codes. To sit as the judge means that you were basically, you know, that whole thing in the courtroom, all rise for Judge Moses. And everybody would rise. And then the defendant would sit at a certain place. I mean, this is law language. they are talking about what goes on in a court. And then Moses says, well, let me explain to you, Jethro. This is how it works. Verse 16, I make known the statutes of God and his laws. You see, Jethro, I know the law of God. I understand it. I understand it in its specifics, and I understand it in its principles. And therefore, when people come up with disputes, I, I tell them how the law of God applies or doesn't apply in their situation, and I can make a fair decision between the two parties, and so they come to me. And frankly, Jethro, it's a massive burden. Every day from morning till evening, the law courts are jammed. What does Jethro say? Verse 17. So Moses' his father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and the people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Those are pretty strong words in verse 17, don't you think? When the father-in-law says to his son-in-law, Moses, let me tell you something. Look in me eye to eye. What you're doing is not good. You're killing yourself and you're cheating the people. Now, please understand, folks, it was not that Moses was unfit to hear their disputes. Moses was a very capable judge. And it wasn't that he didn't care about their disputes. No, Moses cared a great deal. He cared enough to sit all day with them. It wasn't either that the job was beneath him. Oh, no, Moses shouldn't be deciding who the sheep belongs to. You know, let's give him something higher or greater. No, no, no. It wasn't that the job was beneath him. And it wasn't that the people didn't want Moses to hear their disputes. All of those things were not the problem. The problem was simply was that the job was too big for Moses to do. And his energies were being spent unwisely. And therefore, justice was being denied or delayed for many people in Israel. I use those words denied and delayed because, you know, the old proverb justice delayed is justice denied? I've got a dispute and I got to get in there and see Moses and have him decide it. How long is it going to take? Well, it'll be a a year and a half before Moses can hear your case. The the sheep will be dead by then. What's the point of it? You get the point. It, It was it was a tax upon the people, not only upon Moses himself. That's why in verse 18, Jethro says this. This thing is too much for you, You are not able to perform it by yourself. You know what I think is fascinating about this? Don't you think Moses knew that already? I mean, if anybody on the earth knew it, Moses should have known it's too much for himself. But how easy it is for us to deceive ourselves about such things. How easy it is for us to have too much confidence in what we can do and to think that we don't need to dish off duties to other people or delegate responsibilities. It's very easy for us to just deny the fact... This is too big for me. I can't do it. I need help with this. And apparently Moses needed to be told this. And the most wonderful thing about this is that Moses was teachable when Jethro came to him. I mean, after all, you saw what he said to him right there in verse 17. In verse 17, he said, the thing that you do is not good. And what did Moses do? He listened to him. I wonder if there's anybody in your life who can have that kind of conversation with you. wonder if there's anybody in your life who can look at you and say, you know what, what you're doing right now in your life, it's not good and you need to change. And you'll listen to him instead of just thinking, well, I guess you hate me, too. Wouldn't it have been easy for, for Moses to say that? Well, you're just my father in law. You know, you never thought I was good enough for your daughter on and on and on and on. Moses doesn't adopt that posture at all. Moses so much to his credit. He says, I know this man. I know he loves me. I know he's a man of wisdom. I'm going to allow him to speak into my life right now because there needs to be somebody who can tell me there are things that are true, but I cannot see or I have not been able to deal with. I don't know if there's a person like that in your life, but there should be. There should be a few. There should be a few people in your life who can look you in the eye and say, the thing that you do is not good and you'll listen to them. You'll take it carefully to heart. I'm not saying that you'll automatically say, "Okay, well, then whatever you say, I'll do. But you'll prayerfully consider it with an open heart. You'll receive it and say, you know what? I'm going to see if it's not the voice of God speaking to me through this brother, through this sister. Jethro was that kind of man for Moses and Moses, so much to his credit, was able to receive it. So look at the advice now that Jethro will give to Moses. Verse 19. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work which they must do. I just want you to see this in verses 19 and 20, because there's some of you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but there's some of you, you've read this passage of scripture before. You might even heard somebody teach on it before. Okay, I know where this is going. Moses delegates responsibility and we're just supposed to delegate things. Great. Got it, Pastor. No, no. I bet you haven't looked at this passage carefully enough. Did you know, have you taken it to heart that the first thing Jethro told Moses to do was to pray for the people and to teach the people? before he ever told him to delegate responsibility to other men to help him in the work of judging the disputes in the nation, the first thing he told him to do, Moses, you better be praying for that people and you better be teaching the people the word of God. Look at it right there, verse 19. The first thing he told him to do, stand before God for the people. That is the first essential step for Moses. What does it mean to stand before God for the people? Pray for them. Moses, it's too big of a job for you to personally converse with all the people who have disputes or issues in the congregation of Israel. That's just too much for you. But what you can do is you can represent them all before God in prayer. You can pray for them both generally as a nation and for individuals and families that come to your mind. And ladies and gentlemen, might I say that is an essential role for any person who would deal with the congregation of God's people, myself included. I need to pray for you. And I'm happy to say that I do pray for you. And I want to pray for you more and more. I just think it's essential. But that's the first thing that Moses heard from Jethro in that what he should do. That was first. But notice this, verse 20. It also says, You shall teach them the statutes and the laws. You see, for Moses to effectively lead and delegate, he had to teach the word of God Not only to the people who would hear the disputes, but also to the people themselves. What an answer this is. If the people knew God's word for themselves, many disputes could be settled immediately without ever taking them to a judge. Moses, you want things to get better for the people? Teach them the word of God. And as well, if the people knew God's word for themselves... They wouldn't be so discouraged if Moses himself couldn't hear their issue. They could know that one of Moses' delegates could give them counsel from God's wisdom because the real authority, the real wisdom was in God himself and his word, not so much in Moses or not so much in one of his delegates. Ladies and there is a clear analogy here between the leadership of Moses for Israel and the leadership of a pastor among God's people. Now, I'm the first one to say that the analogy does not fit in every point, but it fits in many aspects. Did you notice this, first of all? That in the ancient congregation of Israel and in our congregation right here, and I believe in every congregation that wants to honor God, first and foremost, God is recognized as the true leader of the congregation. Moses was not up there just to share his own opinions. He wasn't there to write his own law book or legislate his own rules. Moses was to bring people a word from God. This is what God wants. This is what God is directing for our congregation. That was absolutely essential that God be recognized as the true leader of the people. But secondly, it's true that the leader cannot do the work of leadership alone. No way. It's very rare when God calls a a man to lead a work of God all by himself. No, I'm not going to say it never happens, but it's exceedingly rare. What God calls is he calls men to serve as a part of a team, a part of a group of people to lead other people into doing the work of God. It's also true, as it was in Moses' day, as it is in our day, that the leader has a special responsibility for prayer and for teaching. That is his responsibility, Moses. That's what you've got to do. You've got to be mighty in prayer for Israel, and you've got to teach them God's law. And then also we would say that beyond this, and we're going to see this in the following verses, that the leader has a special responsibility to train, to select, and to give authority to other people to help in the work. And that's what's going to come up in the following verses. I like here what Charles Spurgeon said along these lines, a quote from him. He says, the Christian pastor is in some respects comparable to Moses, for he is set apart as a leader in the band of brethren. And as such, his business is not only to teach the people, but to plead for them with God. He's referring to that twin role of teaching and prayer that Moses had for Israel. But that wasn't all that it was. There was also this critical aspect of delegation. Look at it here in verse twenty one. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Well, this is what Moses's task. Okay, Moses, first pray, then teach. But after you've done all that, go out. Verse 21, select from all the people, able men, such as fear God, men of truth. Now, Wouldn't you love to have people leading you that fit that description? People who are able men. That's men of ability. Secondly, verse 21 says men of godliness. That is such as fear God. Those are godly men. Verse 21 also says that there are to be men of God's word, men of truth. That speaks of their own personal truthfulness, but that they love the word of God as well. And then finally, verse 21 says that they should be men of honor, that they are hating covetousness. You know, it's very interesting because if we would see this in the light of what the apostle Paul wrote a couple thousand years to his young disciple Timothy, you would just say that Moses is fulfilling the job of a good pastor here. Moses is fulfilling that essential function of a leader to develop and to implement new leaders. I'll always remember that the time or the season of my life in ministry, it was many years ago when God just kind of woke me up to this fact that this is an essential part of what he's called me to do as a pastor. As a pastor, I'm not called just to pray for the people. I'm not called just to teach them God's word. I'm not called just to minister to them directly. But an essential part of my calling is to train up leaders for God's kingdom. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And I think that we should be doing it in many different ways. But this is part of what God has called us. I'll say this has called me to do. So Jethro says, find these men, pour into them. Train them, but then give them real responsibility and let them do the work. Verse 22, every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they may judge for themselves. You see, for Moses to effectively delegate, he had to have oversight and leadership over those under him. Please understand, people, delegation is the exercise of leadership. It's not the abandonment of leadership. Moses couldn't just say, "Okay, you guys do it and walk away. He still had to have an oversight over them and what they did, even in the work that they did. Verse 23, if you do this thing and God commands you so, then you will be able to endure and all this people will also go to their place in peace. Man, I like verse 23. Look at it carefully with me. It'll surprise you if you thought you knew this section. Verse 23, Jethro said to Moses, if you do this thing and God so commands you. Jethro knew something. He knew that he was bringing advice to Moses from outside the community of Israel. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this didn't come from one of the tribal leaders of Israel. It didn't come from one of the captains. It didn't come from Joshua. It didn't come from Aaron. It came from somebody from the outside. And so Jethro was very careful to say, Moses, this is what I want you to do with this. I want you to pray about this. I want you to take this to God in prayer, and I want you to discern for yourself, God, is this what you are speaking to me? He didn't assume that just because he said it, Moses should automatically adopt it as being from the Lord. He was very careful to tell Moses, Moses, you make sure that God is commanding you and not simply Moses. Friends, I believe that's true today. I believe that today sometimes God will guide us from unusual outside sources. But if he does confirm it by prayer to the very best of your ability, God may suggest a method of organization or implementation. They like, well, gee, that comes. Where does that come from? This listen, test it in prayer. Take it to God in prayer. Jethro's advice came in from the outside, but he told Moses man to man, eye to eye, pray about it and be confident that this is what the Lord wants you to do. And what's the payoff for that? Look at it in verse twenty three. Number one, you will be able to endure. Moses, if you do this, you'll survive. The job won't kill you. It won't be beyond your ability. You won't be ministering to the people in a spirit of exhaustion all the time. You'll be able to endure. And by the way, Moses still has. 40 years of ministry left in him. The reason why he was able to last another 40 years was because he was able to take this advice. But then secondly, it says, verse 23, and all this people will go to their place in peace. The second reward, it wasn't just for Moses as good, but it was for the good of the people. They would be effectively served. As I said before, it's been said justice delayed is justice denied. And disputes in Israel could be both prevented by the teaching of the law, but then also settled more quickly and efficiently by what they were going to do. And so this was a great idea. Notice how it gets carried out. Verse 24. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own land. God taught Moses by somebody from the outside. Moses listened. And when he effectively and wisely followed Jethro's counsel, it was good. It was blessing. And they established this system where there were rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. It was sort of this tiered organizational chart thing where things would work up and more difficult cases would eventually get told by Moses. But it was good. It was good for Moses. Because he could focus on the most important things for him to do and not be overwhelmed and overstressed by many smaller tasks. It was good for the leaders that Moses chose. Think about all those men who became the leaders of the thousands and the hundreds and the fifties and the tens. Do you realize that that was a huge untapped resource within Israel that was just aching to be implemented for God's glory? Those men were blessed and it was good for them to be given meaningful ministry to do. And then finally, it was good for the congregation because as they were prayed for by Moses and taught by Moses, they were able to settle more things themselves. And when they did need a dispute settled, they could receive quicker attention and the hard cases could always go back to Moses himself. This chapter shows a principle that I think D.L. Moody said very well. He said this. It's better to set a hundred men to work than to do the work of a hundred men. And I think it's a wonderful thing. All right. Great. We get it, David. Very cool what happened in ancient Israel. Well, first of all, this has a very direct relevance to our congregation, doesn't it? I'm the last one who would say, here I am, Moses, before you. First of all, I'm nowhere near 80 years of age. And I don't even feel that old. But no, 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 but I just see it's, it's not on every point, but there's an analogy, isn't there? There is an analogy as to what my great jobs are to do are to pray for the people, to teach to the people and to oversee things and to handle hard things when they come along. But it's, there's a strong emphasis on delegation delegating to the other people on our staff, delegating to skilled and spiritually mature lay leaders to do what's been described. and I think it's a great description to push ministry down as much as possible so that as many people as possible have that hand in receiving and implementing and doing good ministry in our congregation. I think that's wonderful. I think it's good. I think it's appropriate. But here, 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 I think is the sticky part. We say, great. Where do you see Jesus in this chapter? Where does Jesus come up? I'll tell you where Jesus comes up. He comes up very powerfully in a mighty way. First of all, wouldn't you say that Jesus is the ultimate delegator? If anybody knows how to delegate things, it's Jesus. There's Jesus on the Mount of Olives, about ready to ascend to heaven after his great sacrifice on the cross, after his resurrection, after he's given this commission to his disciples, he's about ready to ascend up to heaven. And what does he say to his disciples? He says, now it's your job to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm delegating this job unto you. I'm going to go up to heaven and I'm going to pray for you from heaven and I'm going to teach you from heaven. I'll send the Holy Spirit to be your teacher But I'm delegating this work to you. And ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to be awed just for a moment to think at the job that Jesus Christ has delegated to us. It's awesome. And when you delegate something to somebody, you're counting on them. Jesus has a confidence in his people, in you and I, that will say, yes, Lord, I want there to be some intentional way in my life that I advance your kingdom. I want to advance your kingdom at my workplace. I want to do it first of all, being the best worker, the best employee or employer I can be. I want to do it that I want to do it at the school I'm at. I want to do it in the neighborhood I'm in. But then also wherever you give me the opportunity to advance your kingdom, I want to do it for your glory. That's the delegation that the Lord has put down upon us. And I think it's something for us to take very seriously. Jesus Christ has done this. Friends, There are lots of ways to intentionally advance God's kingdom. Some of them are inside of the congregation. Some of them are outside of the congregation. But I think it's very important for each and every Christian life to have an intentional way that they advance God's kingdom. And if you don't know what I'm talking about for your life, then you should ask God to show you. Delegation is key to the work of God's kingdom. But we all know this. We all know that in any work of delegation, there are some things that the leader cannot delegate. That the leader says, This is my work alone. I must face this main burden. I have to carry it myself. And then I think about it well, what was the work that Jesus could not delegate? What was the work that Jesus himself had to do? And then I look to the cross and I say, Thank you, Jesus. That even though you have a heart like Jethro explained to Moses, even though you had that heart to say exactly that, that I will delegate my work to my people, that there was one great work that you understood you could not delegate. And he went to the cross alone and did the work that you and I could not do for ourselves and could not do for one another. I know you're a person of love and goodwill. And if you could, you would die for the sins of your child. You would die for the sins of your loved one. But I'll tell you, you can't. You can't make that kind of sacrifice. But Jesus Christ can, and he did. The work that he could not delegate, he did himself. The work that he can delegate, he gives to you and I to do. Now, in just a moment, our friend Jay Cardi is going to come on up and lead us in receiving from the Lord's table. We're going to remember that work that Jesus could not delegate. But I want you to prepare your heart for it right here, right now, as I pray, as we come before the Lord in worship. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the work that Jesus couldn't delegate. His great work on the cross. But, Lord, we thank you as well for the work that he does delegate unto us. Never, Lord, that you expect us to perform it apart from your infilling and empowering, but that you expect us to fill it in your filling and empowering. That's what we want to do. I pray that you'd speak to hearts and minds all across this room about what work people can do to intentionally advance your kingdom. Help us to be serious about it. Help us to receive this delegated responsibility. Help us, Lord, to receive from you, Jesus, what you have to give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.